So I think uh, just a, a neat little connection here. So, so the, the gospel that we have, John chapter 21, uh, the thing that, that catches my attention, this is a, a pretty famous passage. Um, the thing that catches my attention this week as, as I was studying and preparing uh, is this charcoal fire, right? So uh, they, they come, they're bringing the fish. Uh, when they climb on shore, they see a charcoal fire. So there's only one other place in the Bible where this word charcoal fire is used. And that comes in John chapter 18. So John chapter 18 uh, says this. John 18, beginning in verse 15 and going to verse 18 uh, and following. But we'll just read these, these four verses. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. So, sorry, I should explain what's going on here. Jesus is, is under trial, right? So he's being brought in for trial. He's been arrested. He's, he, uh, he's, he's, so the disciples, some of them, are sort of following at a distance to kind of like see what's going on, right? So that's what's going on. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. As this disciple was known to the high priest, he entered the court of the high priest along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the maid who kept the door and brought Peter in. The maid who kept the door said to Peter, Are not you also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So this, this charcoal fire, uh, it, uh, we see right before this, Peter begins his, his denial. We know from all of four Gospels that Peter denies Jesus three times, which Jesus predicted would happen. During the Last Supper, he predicts that everyone would fall away. Uh, Peter's like, no, no, I'm not going to. And Jesus says, okay, well, you're going to three times deny me before the cock crows. So this is the beginning of that. And then this charcoal fire. Uh, and then after this, uh, you, if you were to continue reading John chapter 18, you would see that Simon Peter continues to deny him two more times for, for the threefold denial. So this, this is the fascinating thing to me. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about our charcoal fire that we, we have in our passage today. But, but first, to, to think about this, right? So Peter has given everything up, like everything he has given up for Jesus. He, he took on, uh, he, he was a professional fisherman. He left that behind. He had a wife, he says, and he left her behind. He, he left his house behind, like he left everything that he has behind so that he could follow Jesus. Why? Because he believes that Jesus is the one who was promised throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, that, that Jesus is the one who can lead them to eternal life. And he says this. Uh, in John chapter 6, when a whole bunch of disciples of Jesus, it says many disciples of Jesus, stopped following him and drew back to their former way of life. When Jesus is talking about the Eucharist, actually. He turns to his apostle, he says, will you also go away? And Peter is the one who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words that, that lead to everlasting life, that lead to eternal life. So, so this is what Peter believes about Jesus, right? And, and like, Jesus is life, right? So what's fascinating about the first instance of the charcoal fire, of course, right, is, is that Jesus is now on trial, which means Peter's life is on trial. And the thing that captures Peter's attention more than anything while his life is on trial is not his life, right? It's not Jesus. 
But instead, what, they're, they're by the charcoal fire warming themselves. And Peter is warm, right? So, so the, the point here is like, rather than being intensely interested in what's happening with Jesus over here, Peter gravitates toward this bodily comfort, right? The thing that captures his attention is not what's going on with Jesus, but instead it's what's going to make me feel most comfortable. And so it's what he does, and he goes to this place of bodily comfort. And what happens when he goes to the place of bodily comfort is that he ends up denying Jesus. So that's, that's the first instance of the charcoal fire. Now to get to our gospel passage, this I think was, was a fascinating thing, so we'll, we'll get to the fire in a minute, but, but the first thing is, okay, so there's a lot that's taking place between John chapter 18 and John chapter 21, right? Jesus is, is mocked, he's scourged, he's crucified, he's, he, he dies, he's placed in a tomb, and then, right, he rises from the dead, he appears to them. We heard this last week, we heard this on Easter. He appears to them, he says, peace be with you, right? Like this incredible moment where Jesus, right, it seemed like, it seemed like he wasn't actually who he said he was. And then he rises from the dead and reveals that he's more even, more than, than what they could have possibly imagined him to be. And, and the disciples encountered him. And now, this third time, he's revealing himself to them, crucified and risen from the dead. It's this, this life-changing, dramatic encounter that the apostles have with Jesus. It's incredible. And what happens then, uh, right, when as soon as Peter finds out, like, it is the Lord, what does he do? He jumps into the water. And I was thinking about this this week, that, like, I, I don't know if you've ever, like, been at a lake and, and you jump into the water. But what happens, right, is there's this, this initial sort of shock. Or, or, like, when I was a kid, my grandparents had a lake place. And when I was a kid, we'd go out there and we'd take the pontoon out to the middle of the lake and, and would jump off. But the first time you jump off the pontoon, right, there's always this sort of hesitancy because you know the water's gonna be cold, right? And so it's like, even though you know you're about to have all kinds of fun, there's still just this like, yeah, but I don't know if I wanna do it, right? Like, because, because, right, we, we like to stay comfortable. We like to stay in the heat of the sun. But what does Peter do? It's like he doesn't even think about it. In other words, what happens when he encounters Jesus crucified and now risen from the dead, what happens when he has this life-changing encounter with Jesus is that he now takes on this total disregard for bodily comfort. Whereas before, right, he was, he was living in a place of fear, maybe. He was living uh, in a place of, of just wanting to fill his senses, and so he's drawn to this, and that actually leads him to deny Jesus. Now when he encounters Jesus risen from the dead, he says, I don't even care about my bodily comfort anymore. I'm just gonna jump right in because, because I don't, like, I just gotta be with Jesus. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me if there's gonna be a shock when I jump into the water. It doesn't matter to me if, if I'm gonna be uncomfortable for a little while because, because the end result is that actually going through the discomfort is gonna lead me to Jesus. My, my, my life. Right? So, and, and then this is, is made even in more prominent uh, in, in in the first reading, the Acts of the Apostles, right? The, the apostles are, are being persecuted. They're being threatened. They're, they're put in prison. They're miraculously let out of prison. And then the, the, the captain and the court officers, rather than being amazed that they're let out of prison miraculously, instead they threaten them even further. We charged you, did we not, to stop preaching in this name? Knock it off. 
And what's their response? Again, their response is not one of fear, like, okay, well, we want to protect ourselves and you know, like we, we don't wanna we don't wanna cause any problems. We like we don't want you to cause us any problems, so we'll just we'll stop. No, instead, what do they say? We must obey God rather than men. In other words, they're saying, we don't care what you threaten to do against us. Because we've encountered Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead and he has changed everything about our lives because he himself is our very life and if he conquers even death itself then that means that we too will conquer even death itself and so it doesn't matter what you threaten against us it doesn't matter what kind of bodily discomfort you want to try to bring upon us because we don't even care about it we're just so delighted to be with Jesus. And in fact, in fact, right? Like, in fact, what does it say? They left the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. It's like somehow they're able to see that, that even as they're given these threats, even as they're given bodily discomfort, even as they're given persecutions, it's somehow like not in spite of those things, but it's actually because of those things that they're going to inherit the kingdom of God, that they're going to inherit eternity with God forever. What does Jesus say? He says this a, a number of times. So, so first he says this in, in, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You can imagine that the apostles as they're receiving these threats, you can imagine the voice of Jesus almost, almost like playing itself in their mind louder than the threats are being played. And so as they're receiving these threats, you can just like, sort of imagine this smile on their face, like, please, please continue to persecute us for the sake of Jesus. Because that just means heaven for us. It actually means a greater reward for us. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We can see this in the first instance of the charcoal fire. Peter's first concern is to save his life. And so he goes towards bodily comfort. He goes toward denying Jesus so that he can save his reputation, so that he can save himself from suffering, from persecution. He does these things. And what happens when he tries to save his life? He ends up losing Jesus, who is his life. But now Jesus, who is so good and so merciful, he comes to them and he gives Peter a new chance, a new chance to redeem himself. He gives him a new chance to lose his life for the sake of Jesus so that he may find it. And that's exactly what happens, beginning with Peter jumping out of the boat having a total disregard for his bodily comfort. And then what happens when he comes to Jesus? Jesus then brings him to a new charcoal fire. Right? And the point there is not that Jesus now provides for him bodily comfort, but the point is that he comes to Jesus and then Jesus takes care of him. And not only does Jesus take care of him, but then these three questions, right? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? 
It gives Peter a chance to be redeemed. He denied him three times, and now three times more, he can reaffirm his love for Jesus. This is what happens, you guys, when we encounter Jesus Christ, not just crucified, but when we encounter Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And so like, this is like, this is perhaps the main thing that we gotta pray for. Jesus, how can I encounter you the same way that Peter encountered you? How can my eyes be opened the same way that your beloved disciples' eyes were opened so that, so that when I see you, when I hear your voice, when I encounter your miracles, I can say, it is the Lord. And suddenly, when I recognize you, Jesus, my focus is taken off of worldly comforts. My, world, my, my focus is taken off of trying to save my life and making myself feel as good as I possibly can in this life. But instead, when I see you, Jesus, I can focus on you so that I no longer even care about the things going on in this world. And in fact, I welcome, I gladly welcome any opportunities for bodily discomfort, especially when they're embraced for the sake of your name. Because in those moments, Jesus, in those moments, I will rejoice and be glad as you tell me to, because I will know that my reward in heaven is only increasing more and more and more as I make more investments in that kingdom which is to come. Jesus, help me get to this place. So I think we just got to maybe ask ourselves this question. This can be just sort of a final question, right? How is it that we approach bodily comfort? Is it something that we just like got to have? And this is something that like I've been thinking about this a lot. In celebrating Easter, so many times my celebrations of Easter are focused around bodily comfort. They're focused around food. They're focused around, you know, like during Lent, I did all this fasting and now I don't have to fast anymore. During Lent, I did all this self-denial and now I don't have to do that anymore. Instead, maybe actually what the Lord wants us to, to do or to consider is like, rather than letting off of the gas pedal, instead to persevere in it. Rather than, rather than starting to live my life in the resurrection as though this world is all that there is and so I just want to drink my fill of it. Instead, I'm celebrating that Jesus is, is, is actually going to fulfill the promises that he's made to me. And so continuing to keep my eyes fixed on the world that is to come by embracing the gospel more fully, more totally, giving everything that I have to Jesus because, because the life that he's, he, he's coming to give me is so much better than anything here and now. And so like, to fill myself up with worldly things, it's just not gonna be worth it in the end, but instead, to actually empty myself as Jesus emptied himself, well, that, that, that's a reward that, that's incomparable. That's a reward that, that leads me to this incredibly beautiful vision in our second reading where, where we just are countless in number rejoicing and worshiping Jesus. Worthy are you, Jesus. I can't wait to get to that moment, Jesus, where all I see is you and I fall down and I worship you and I give you glory and praise without end with all of the countless numbers who have persevered in the race worshiping you, falling down before you, 
calling out your name above all names. Jesus, set my heart on fire for that one thing and for nothing else. Set my heart on fire for that fire. Ignite within me a charcoal fire, Jesus. One that fills me not with a desire for bodily comfort, but one that fills me with one desire for eternity. Living for you forever. Amen.